Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Open wide for some soccer. Done. Oh my God. Trust the process. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special TTP mini-episode, Something Footy This Way Comes, Part 3, with our special guest, as always, our footy expert, uh, the doctor of soccer, Hmm. uh, Mr. Mike Halford. Halford, how are you doing today, sir? What up? What's going on? The doctor of soccer. That is a proud, proud title. I am getting business cards. That's right. I'm excited about footy. That's what's going on. Uh, The Canadian men, uh, which is where we'll start. Uh, About a week or so ago, they qualified for their first World Cup since 1986 as a non-casual, big-time soccer fan. How was that for you last Sunday watching the game? And what does this mean to you? Yeah, it's uh, here's the thing. Like I knew they were going to qualify going into the last window, so I don't want to like downplay the joy and excitement and everything. But I knew it was coming. I mean, they really did the work in this qualification when they went and scratched out points in Mexico and in the U.S. and then beat the Mexicans and the Americans in Hamilton and Edmonton. And that was when you really realized like this is going to happen. So I was just waiting for that one result that they needed in the final window. When it did happen, what really struck me was they brought back all the guys that had tried and failed to qualify since 1986, like Paul Dolan and Craig Forrest and Dwayne DiRosario and uh, Julian de Guzman, all these guys that had awful experiences, not just disappointing, like tragically awful, losing to like countries that you never thought Canada would lose to internationally, sinking all the way into the hundreds in the FIFA ranking. So to see them get brought back and then get to celebrate 36 years is a long time. I mean, I've, followed, I've read a lot of the international media on this. 
And that's one of their biggest takeaways is like they are shocked almost to realize that it's been that long since Canada has been in a World Cup. So it's a really neat story. And it's really cool to see all the guys that had the trials and tribulations along the way. Finally, they, they were all at BMO Field. Craig Forrest was crying on television. I mean, that's how moving it was for him. So for me, that was really cool seeing that all these guys that missed out for so many years finally getting a chance to celebrate. Absolutely. It's a classy move. When and if the Canucks finally win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I'm going to want Gerald Diddick out there. (laughs) I want Nathan Lafayette out there. You're (laughs) off the hook, Nathan. Uh, Bring them all back. Bring Luongo back. He'll still be on the payroll at that time. So, yeah, I thought that was a real classy move to see the old uh, Canadian players. Um, All right, so now they've qualified. Uh, The draw was this past Friday. Uh, A lot of people online complaining about the length of the draw, the theatrics of it. Uh, You know, people bitching and moaning. But uh, when it all came down to it, Canada has, well, they got Morocco, Croatia, and Belgium. That is correct. How do you feel about the draw for Team Canada? And can they they make it pass? Because if I'm not mistaken... Top two teams make it to the next stage, right? That's correct. So, look, the World Cup is a weird tournament. Like, you've got to understand that it's every game in the group becomes so fundamentally important because you lose one and all of a sudden you're gripping your stick to use some hockey parlance. But also, the lead up to the tournament, especially this year, none of these guys are going to be playing together. Like, there's no cohesiveness. There's no two-month training camp to get ready for it. All these guys are going to be scattered around the globe playing in their domestic leagues with their club teams. And then a couple weeks out, it's get together, get some cohesion, get some chemistry, be healthy is another big part of it as well. Don't pick up any injuries with your domestic team. And then go to Qatar, gel, and then try and win seven matches in the span of like a month. Like it, it is very, very odd. So that's why like if you go back to the 2014 World Cup, there was a group with England and Italy and then Costa Rica and Uruguay. And everyone was like, well, that's an easy one to peg. Obviously England and Italy, the powerhouses, they're going to go through. Neither did. It was Costa Rica and Uruguay that went through just because if you get off to a bad start in the group like England and Italy did, it can be tough to kind of right the ship. So Canada has that working for them because they obviously go in as the underdog of the group, least likely to advance. They can play with a sense of freedom and spirit where it's like, you know what, we're here, we just want to show well. If we lose, that's expected. That's why I think that first game that they've got against Belgium is so fascinating because Belgium, right up until a little while ago, was the number one ranked FIFA team in the world. Uh, They finished third at the last World Cup. They are absolutely loaded with international quality players. Kevin De Bruyne, Romelu Lukaku, Eden Hazard, Thibaut Courtois. Like they, by all accounts, are in a different planet stratosphere than Canada. But all the pressure is going to be on Belgium. And everyone's going to be eyeballing them in that very first group match. So that bodes well for Canada. Croatia's an older team. Like, without question. Like, they finished second at the 2018 World Cup. So, on to the surface, you're saying, damn, Canada's got to fin- got to play against the second and third place finishers from last World Cup. But Croatia's old. A lot of the golden generation there was well into their 30s. So, people think that'll bode well for Canada. The bottom line, though, is for all the positives that you can put in the Canadian camp, the fact remains is that they're still way behind these two countries in particular because the quality is so high. Like what a lot of people are going to look at going into the World Cup is how many guys on your team are playing in a top five league in Europe and playing regular minutes. Right. And for Belgium and Croatia, that's like everybody. And for Canada, that's like Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David 
and that's it. So there's going to be, you know, all due respect to the back line that's playing minutes in MLS, the quality is just not the same. And when that's your sort of warm up training camp, to use a, a familiar like refrain, um, it makes it really difficult, right? Like there's just there's just better quality for each. So it's it's an intriguing group for Canada. It's super exciting that they get to play such high end teams like Belgium and Croatia. I know some people have tried to talk themselves into Canada being like a real possibility to get through, but like make no mistake about it, they're a super long shot to get out of this group. Oh, okay. I was gullible. I was going along with it. Like, oh, I know, I know. Canada could do a little bit of damage here. So I was going to ask you. So, what is their realistic ceiling? Uh, obviously, they're not winning the World Cup here. I think everybody can agree on that. But uh, is their realistic ceiling making it out of this group and being yes, one of the top yes. two teams? Yes, yes, for sure. Because in a group of four, you need a minimum of four points. So that's a win, and then that's a draw. And then you can get down to things like goal differential, head-to-head. So let's say that they can get one point from the Belgium and Croatia matches. And that's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, Borjan could stand on his head in net. They could you know, uh, clip a couple goals here and there. They could even come up against a Belgian team that's flat on the day or Croatia that's flat on the day. What that does is if you get a point out of there, then you go into the final match against Morocco, which is the most realistic victory for Canada in this group and say, hey, look, mission accomplished through the first two matches. Now all we need to do is beat a team that is, again, high in quality, has players littered all over top five leagues in Europe, but in terms of rankings, not that far removed from Canada. So if they can get a point from either Belgium or Croatia and then win against Morocco, suddenly you're talking about a a decent likelihood of moving on to the knockout stage, to the round of 16. And at that point... You're talking about a Canadian team that will have well exceeded expectations going into the knockout stage. Like, whatever. You can take, give me anyone at that point. Give me Brazil. Give me Germany. It doesn't matter because now you're playing in a one-game winner-takes-all. And that's where Cinderella runs happen. So, I, look, it's not out of the realm of possibility. There is a, there, I can see a path that they can go down to get to the knockout stage. But don't get it twisted. They're still, like, number four of the likelihood to get out of that group. Right. And it's it's a their win is making it in to the World Cup and qualifying essentially. Yeah, like I mean I mean don't get me wrong, like they want to do more than they did in eighty six. Like they want to score a goal. Of course. First and foremost. Like that would be a nice start. Like find the back of the net. They didn't score in eighty six? They did not score in eighty six. So that is like kind Who's of Who's in their group? It was Hungary, Russia, and France. Okay. And France was the, the dominant powerhouse team with Michel Platini and everybody else. So they didn't score a goal. They went. They tried hard. They were good Canadian kids. But they just they didn't do anything when they were there. This time it's score a goal, get a draw, win a match. It's, it's do something. Maybe not necessarily get out of the group, but do something to show that this isn't just a team that is a blip. Like, oh, that 86 team came out of nowhere. Kind of surprised everyone in CONCACAF, got to the mountain, and then just kind of took pictures of it and left and never came back, right? Yeah. This is, I mean, Herdman said it numerous times, like, this is supposed to lay the foundation for 2026 when we're going to be one of the three hosts of the World Cup so that all these guys won't go into the 2026 World Cup with no experience whatsoever. Like, the idea is put up a good fight against the world power like Belgium and Croatia. Get a result against Morocco. This is, I mean, all the teams that got to the World Cup outside of Qatar did it on merit. There's, it's, it's very difficult to qualify from all the regions. You have to go through a really arduous process. So there's no, like, weak sisters here. Like, there's going to be good teams across the board. Uh, your goal is to go have a good showing and soak up that experience. 
It's also great because it seems to have, you know, obviously really captured the hearts and minds of the nation, inspired a lot of young soccer players. So potentially like the system moving forward, uh, you know, the World Cup can be the goal. I'm just really disappointed that none of the teams they played in 86 are in their group now because there could be a really great narrative. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's uh, time for payback. 36 years later, they've been waiting to get Morocco on the pitch. Uh, yeah, like I was quietly hoping that they'd draw France and then they could go around asking any of the French players like, do you remember playing Canada in 86? You were what, like one year old back then? But no, <laughs> it didn't happen. It was, it wasn't meant to be in that regard. This, this group is really interesting though, because um, like I said earlier, it's got the star power, like De Bruyne and Luka Modric alone are maybe two of the best five midfield players in the world right now. Uh, and this, these are the guys that are like, you know, if you want to use all the sports clips, like on posters, on the cover of video games, like right. they're the number one selling jerseys. De Bruyne plays for Man City. Modric plays for Real Madrid, like two of the biggest clubs in the world. So that in itself is really cool that the Canadian team's going to get to go up against them because that's there's going to be eyeballs on these matches, right? That's the big thing. Like yep. all due respect to if Canada would have gotten in a group with Qatar. Canada-Qatar is the game that all of a sudden the scalpers are like, uh, give me 20 bucks, you can get in, right? Like that's, no one's really interested in watching those matches. They want to see big Ballyhood star teams, and it's cool that Canada's going to get to play in two of those. Right on. Um, now, obviously, I'm rooting for Canada, Canadian, everything, but my other team, my beloved uh, North Macedonia, <laughs> uh, came up a little bit, I've been a diehard fan for literally months, uh, came up short against Portugal, a soccer game that I set a reminder in my phone for. That's some next-level stuff. Uh, but they shockingly defeated Italy uh, last week, and Italy has failed to qualify for their second consecutive World Cup. Uh, what's going on in Italy? they just having a meltdown, or are their old players retiring? They don't have young bucks? What's happening there? Well, I mean, they, they won Euro 2020 slash 20 that was played in 2021. Yeah. It's, it's a stunning reversal of fortunes where you go from missing a World Cup to winning a European Championship to missing another European Cup. All in fairly short order, I might add. It would all yeah. happen relatively quickly. Um, they, are, they are an older team. They really caught lightning in a bottle at Euro because they got outstanding performances from guys like Insigne and Jorginho. And Donnarumma was... Uh, the player of the tournament, the goalie for for the Italians, and he was fantastic as well. Um, they had uh, Chiesa, who was hurt and didn't qu- didn't participate in the Northern Macedonia game. Bonucci and uh, was hurt as well, if I'm not mistaken. So they had injuries at key spots. Also, guys that needed to carry the weight for them because they had really dreadful performances. Like Ciro Immobile, the big striker, who they kind of rely on to score, even though he's not that good at it, was dreadful against North Macedonia. Um, they, yeah, they, they, they're in a, they, it was funny because they didn't have high expectations going into Euro 2020 and they exceeded expectations and went on a great run and they had some really inspired play and they won. But the reality of it was, is they were still in the middle of a cycle where they were turning it over from an older guard to a younger guard. They just found it happens in tournaments. That's the thing is it happens in these really short tournaments that once you get the belief and once people start playing at a certain level and it clicks, you can really go far despite the fact that you might not be in your competitive window. Like we talk about in hockey all the time, right? Like right. The, the the tournament style, because it's just survive in advance, survive in advance. It's not best four or seven. You don't have to beat a team multiple times to prove that you're going to move on. You have to do it once. And that's why, I mean, the math North, North Macedonia upset was exactly that. Like 
Italy outplayed them for 90 plus minutes. I think the shot attempts were 32 to four. Oh, I saw the breakdown of all yeah, the stats. So and, yeah, it's it's not like it was a back and forth affair. I mean, North Macedonia, North Macedonia needed to be better uh, than Italy on one day. That was it, and they were, and 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 that's that's kind of the beauty of it. But also, why a lot of the Italians were upset. They're like, look, we went through this huge qualifying campaign. We did pretty well, but we finished second on our group. And then because on one day we are just dreadfully unlucky, we're not going to the World Cup. And I mean, I've got a little bit of time for that, but that's part of the allure of the World Cup and the qualifying now is it's like these games matter. One game matters. You have to show up on that. And if you don't, you don't get to go to the World Cup. Yeah, I meant to ask you about that because I think I saw some comments from the Italian coach or skipper or gaffer or whatever they're called i was uh, he was one of the center backs yeah okay yeah who was given he, he was talking about that yeah given out about the fact that like okay well they lost one key game and everybody else is getting i don't know if it was softer matchups or whatever but just the way the whole thing is structured it's completely unfair that they're not in the world cup based on uh how the qualifying went yeah and i mean look it's sour grapes when you're on the wrong end of it right i mean Por- portugal loves the the way that the qualifications went right it's like yeah sure give me the one game playoff we'll take it we're going to the world cup so yeah. um you know it it is interesting from this perspective because no one gave north macedonia any shot of winning that match. And to be quite honest, Fools. yeah, I know with such a global powerhouse. Right. But when, <laughs> when they scored late, it was all the sweet syrupy Hollywood narratives because it wasn't like they just held on and then won in penalties. They won it proper. Like it was a fantastic yeah. goal that they won it on. So it really made for even more scenes and more moments because, you know, a lot of teams can park the bus and play for penalties. Um, not a lot have the courage to get forward at the end of 90 and try and take a chance like that and then do it the way that they did. So it was a class strike. It was a class finish. It was really impressive. Right. Well, I, I look forward to the future World Cup finals of North Macedonia versus Canada and trying to choose between my two kids. <laughs> uh, so what does this mean for Canada over the next couple of months? So World Cup uh, is going to be in November, December. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so what's Canada? Start, start Starts the end of November. Yeah. Yeah, so the players are Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David. They're going off their way. Uh, but are there going to be some more friendlies? Is there a chance that Vancouver might get a chance to see the men's national team play before the World Cup? What's going on there? Yeah, possibly. They'll do some friendlies for sure. John Herdman was already asked about it. Uh, there was a report that I read earlier that Argentina might be interested in trying to book um, one with Canada. I think any of the any of the teams in the World Cup that have a CONCACAF team in their group might consider doing a friendly against Canada because Canada is the best team in CONCACAF. So it just kind of makes sense. And you'll get a sense of that style of play. I think there's a real curiosity about Canada as well because I mentioned like how it's kind of taken over the international footballing world, this story, this unique story. A lot of people looked at it and said, wow, they haven't been here for 36 years. But it's also like, wow, wait a minute. They went from being ranked 95th in the world to winning the CONCACAF qualifiers, like outright, like finishing top of the table. That doesn't happen very often in international football where it's usually you'll see a team grow year to year yeah. over that four-year cycle to get to the World Cup. Very rarely do you see a team have to qualify for the final round of World Cup qualifying, which Canada had to do when they had to beat like Aruba and Haiti and everybody else, and then win CONCACAF. It just doesn't happen. So uh, there'll be a couple of those. They've also got this thing called the CONCACAF Nations League, which is... One of these international tournaments, a long-running one, they call it a league, but it's really just a long, spread-out tournament that keeps national teams playing more meaningful games 
during the World Cup window. So I think they've got them in June. That, But those will be games against the CONCACAF teams you saw, like El Salvador, Honduras, Costa Rica, whoever they get drawn against. So there'll be plenty of action over the next few months. Uh, you'll see some friendlies as they get closer to November 23rd. That's the first kickoff in Belgium. And then at the start of November, you'll start to see things like... Um, 35-man rosters that you have to send to FIFA, and then that gets whittled down to 26, and then I think they might actually keep it at 26 and not go all the way down to 23. Then you'll get your final roster. So there's going to be a lot of benchmark moments before they kick off that first game against Belgium on the 23rd of November. Now, from that Canadian celebration against the against the Jamaicans, I got to know, are you pro or anti-Viking clap? Yeah, I'm not big on that. Uh, it's someone else's thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Iceland yes. did it. We Iceland should have our own thing. Yeah, we should. Like, I get it. Right. It's the the fans love it, and they kind of made it their own at BMO in Toronto. Maybe they didn't notice what Iceland did when they went on their run at uh, Euro in 2016, but um, it, it's been taken by someone. Yeah. I just feel like it could have come up with something different. Like, I don't like any of that stuff. Like, I think it's lame when they sing "Sweet Caroline" at a Canucks game. Right, that's yes. that's yep, a, yep, that, yep. That, that belongs to somebody else, right? Yeah, it's There's, Boston. Yeah, Celtics. Like, yeah, or not Celtics, it's, Red Sox. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like let them have their thing. Don't steal it. Come up with something new. It's not that hard. There's lots of songs and there's lots of claps you can figure out, right? So I'm not big on the yeah. Viking clap. The Canucks started doing a storm surge next year. I think I might cheer for a different. Well, didn't the Canucks? Like, didn't the Canucks do a try to do a Viking clap for a while? Yes, they did. Yes. Oh, clearly. Yeah, yes, yeah, I was yeah, at games yeah, yeah. La- uh, pre-COVID, and they were getting the Viking clap going, and not into it. Yeah. No, that's somebody else's thing. Get creative, put some people in a room, and try and figure out what <laughs> you are going to do that people may copy. Right, so, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, moving to the Whitecaps for a second. So I was just with uh, Joshua Griffith earlier on today. He covers the uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps. He let me know they are O. Three and one, is that correct? They have not won in their first. Uh, nah, that is yeah, correct. so they have a game today. By the time this is out, uh, the result will probably be done against. I'm going to the game. Sporting KC, you're going to the game. Yeah, I'm taking the boy to the game. Hopefully, they can get their first win. We actually saw their first point of the year, the home opener, when they drew with NYCFC in a nil-nil game, which had all the entertainment value of a nil-nil. Get out of here, soccer with your zero-zero. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it has. It hasn't been good for the Whitecaps. It has not been good at all. So I know we talked a while ago and they had just qualified for the playoffs on a tie, which I had thoughts and feelings about. Yeah. Uh, but they had just qualified for the playoffs. They made it in. They didn't go very far. But uh, Vanny Sartini was toast of the town. They were bringing him back for another year. Uh, how has it been with him so far this season? The players responding to him or is he the problem? Where do you, where do you figure the struggles are coming from? Well, it's really it's pretty simple to know why they haven't played well. Is that their best player last year was Max Crapo. He was named team MVP. He was fantastic. He was probably the best, if not top three goalies in MLS. And he left. He demanded a trade out of Vancouver. That was a huge void. What? Yep, he's gone. He is no longer with the club. He now plays for LAFC. And they brought in a, very, a young kid, Thomas Hassall. He's Canadian, the Saskatoon Schmeichel. Uh, but he's in his early 20s. He's a fine shot stopper. But you're going from, again, your most valuable player, as named by the club last year, to a guy that's never really been uh, a full-time professional. There's going to be a disparity there. Other thing, uh, the Whitecaps last year caught lightning in a bottle. I've used that terminology twice, but I'm going to use it again. They caught lightning in a bottle. It's all good. They had, Bri- they had Brian Brian White, the striker, and Ryan Gold, the diminutive Scottish midfielder. Yep. They came in and found chemistry and scored a ton of goals. This year, uh, Brian White and Ryan Gold 
combined have been on the field for 26 minutes together over the four matches. 26 minutes. Mm -hmm. That is not a lot. They have both been injured. They haven't been able to do what they did last year, which was connect on a ton of goals. And as a result, the Caps are 0-3-1. It's really not all that confusing to know why they have one point from their first four matches. Three, Maybe their three best players from last season have been total non-factors this season. So you just look at it and like, yes, they need to be tighter at the back. And yes, Hassal probably needs to be better. And yes, Lucas Cavallini needs to do more because he's getting paid a gargantuan sum of money. But when your three best players from last season have done nothing for you, it stands to reason why you're 0-3-1 at this stage of the game. Gotcha. I have a question about the women's uh, national team. So just looking at some women's World Cup results over the last several years, Mm -hmm. uh, it's the U.S. that keeps winning this thing. There's another Women's World Cup in 2023, I believe. Uh, Is Canada never in the mix here? I thought the Canadian women were the best. Uh, The Canadian women have, they hosted the World Cup in 2015 here. Uh, They're perennial qualifiers. Uh, The women's game has grown uh, exponentially in terms of countries playing uh the quality of the elites because if you look at the results from the fifa women's world cup back dating back to 1991 the u.s has won half of them yeah that's what i'm looking at it won't be like that it won't be like that anymore moving forward because too many of the women's national programs have become way too strong uh the creation of really high-end women's leagues with a lot of the marquee clubs in Europe. So like Man City's women's team. Uh, I know there's a, a girl, a Julia Grosso, who scored the game-winning penalty. That's right. Yeah, University of Texas. She plays for she plays for Juventus now. Juventus' okay. women's team. So you're talking about Paris Saint-Germain's women's team is famous. Barcelona. So a lot of the big clubs have invested heavily in the women's side. And the technical abilities and the tactical abilities have skyrocketed. So now you're looking at it and it's like what you saw at the Olympics with no U.S. in the gold medal game in Canada and Sweden doing the business. You're going to see more of that. Like England's women's program has really taken off. The Scandinavian countries have always been pretty strong and they're being strong. Japan has been strong as well. Germany, like you've got, and then a lot of the South American countries have got, grown leaps and bounds as well. So like the women's game is about to become hyper competitive and it already was, but you're just going to have way more parity than you ever had before. So it's actually funny because Canada just won Olympic gold, which is a huge international accomplishment. Yep. But it doesn't make them like more of a favorite because the game is getting so much better in so many other countries. It's just going to be more difficult from here on in. Oh, that's great. Well, at least they got the Olympic golds and everything. Yeah. So I'm thinking, okay. <laughs> they got the Olympic gold. That's, that's it. That's it. That's a big 2023 one. Women's World Cup. What's stopping Canada from winning that thing as well? Because they're coming off of their uh, their Olympic gold. But I also know they've got a lot of legendary players that are a bit on the older side that are probably looking to hang it up in international competition, right? Yeah, but they've got a ton of really good young players as well. Jesse Fleming and Janine Becky and all these really good, young, talented players. Julia Grosso is another one. And they're all playing with really prominent clubs. So there's always this pipeline. There's always like the next generation coming along. And the big reason why is because people like Christine Sinclair laid the foundation for an entire younger generation to be like, I want to be that. I want to do that. I want to be the greatest goal scorer in international soccer history. And now you see it. There's just swaths of really quality young players going to play in NCAA, graduating and then playing with really big clubs uh, in Europe. 
Uh, before we wrap up here, just going into the Men's World Cup this year, is there a team, obviously it's not Canada, uh, is there a team that you consider to be a runaway favorite or someone that you would definitely put money down? Like, nope, those are those are going to be the guys right there. That's who's winning this World Cup. Oh, man, that's uh, that's an interesting one. You know, the, the old logic always, th- there's an old adage that says, you know, we've got this great growth of the game and African countries have become better than ever. And you've seen the growth in the Asian game. And, you, and then, of course, you've got CONCACAF with the emergence of some North American teams right and in the end it'll probably just be brazil versus germany in the final so that's the one that i always fall back on yeah it's like when in doubt take the germans and take the brazilians because it's just the easiest money um i'll tell you one thing like if you're gonna look for some sort of tell or giveaway or characteristic look for the teams that have experience in these tournaments because tournament tested understanding what you need to do to get out of the group and how you just need to survive in advance becomes really important. Look at the managers for that as well. You know, Belgium's really interesting because Belgium, having not won anything, has a ton of pressure on it. Mm -hmm. Like Roberto Martinez has been the manager for a long time. De Bruyne has been to countless internationals and has not won. Same with Lukaku. So that could be either a really rallying cry for them that we need to get it done now. So let's step our game up or it could be a detriment because they feel the pressure that now is the time we might not get another crack of this. So narratives like that are easy for media, but they do really matter because these tournaments are so uh, hyper intense one and done winner takes all loser goes home. Right. Yeah. Now from the draw, there was one thing I was curious about Um, in two of the groups. I want to say it's like maybe E and F or something. Uh, there's two teams referred to as ICP. So upon uh, five minutes of research, it's not the insane clown posse having two teams to represent the Juggalo Nation. No, no Juggalos. What are the ICP teams and how does that factoring in? Uh, so there is still... The spots have been are there, but there's still some uh, teams to decide who will be representing. So, for example, because of the war in Ukraine... Russia was booted from qualifying, meaning Scotland plays Ukraine in a qualifier in June. And then the winner of that match plays Wales to decide who gets that ICP spot. Got it. Another one is Costa Rica, who we saw in CONCACAF qualifying. They play New Zealand to decide who gets another one of these spots. So Got it. Because of the world that we live in and the pandemic threw the entire calendar into arrears. And then you had the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Um, it's been a very unique draw. Usually the draw is done way further in advance right? than a few months out. But because how everything's gone, um, they had to do the draw now and they had to do the draw before they knew the actual teams. So uh, one of them will be Wales against the winner of Scotland and Ukraine. The other one will be the winner of Costa Rica and New Zealand. And I'm trying to remember the third one. I think it's Peru takes on, hold on, I've got it right in front of me here. Uh, Peru takes on one of the African qualifiers. So there's a lot to still be decided. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this special TTP mini, uh, Mr. Halford. Uh, he is the co-host of Halford and Bruff on Sportsnet 650 at Mike Halford 604. Thanks for taking some time out of your Saturday to explain this all to me like I'm five and helping me understand what's going on because, uh, yeah, soccer fever is gripping the nation. First time in 36 years. It's a, what a time to be alive and a soccer fan in Canada. Open wide for some soccer! Yeah, enjoy it, buddy. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll see you all next week on Trust the Process. Take care, bud. Open wide for some soccer! Done! Done! Done!